Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. We just want to tell you, Happy Father's Day, Lord. <laughs> thank you for being such an amazing Father. The best dad ever. We love you, Lord, and we just thank you for loving us so much. We, uh, we thank you that we have this place to come and worship you and uh, that we are the body. We are the church. We, this is a, a part of your body, this body of believers and all those who will hear this message in any format in the future. You are a part of the body of Christ and you are the church. So we thank you, Lord, for, for different places and buildings and things that we can meet you in, meet together to, to, to talk about you and grow in the grace and knowledge. But Lord, we just remember that we are the church and as long as we have you, we have everything we need. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you know why dads take two pair of socks with them when they go to play golf in case they get a hole in one. <laughs> there was a, I'll tell you another one. There was a, I told that one last year, I think. I, I could tell that I've told it before anyway. Told it at some point. I know I never told you this one before because I just read it this morning. But there was a there was a revival uh, meeting, uh, and it was amongst different different uh, denominational uh, pastors and groups, and they all got together in the city. And they had anyway. The, after the the meeting was over, the pastors all got together, and they were very pleased with everything. And uh, the Baptist pastor said, "We really did good tonight." We added four families to our fold, and the the Nazarene pastor, he said, well, we did better than that. We added six families to our flock, and the evangelical pastor, he said, hey, we we beat all of those. We got rid of our ten biggest problems. Well, happy Father's Day, and uh, I just want to uh, say that to to all the fathers everywhere. This is a time to celebrate fathers, and uh, I I really, truly admire. I never knew my father. Uh, I thank God that uh, that is all healed, and I am whole because God is my father, and I'll never forget when he did that for me, but uh, I do admire and respect tremendously men uh, who do a great job as fathers, Uh, fathers who love God, who love their wives, who love uh, their children, and stick with them, and walk in integrity, and and, and live as examples of Christ, uh, what Christ looks like in this world. It's very hard to find, but there are... uh, Increasingly, in my sphere of influence anyway, more and more young men who are stepping up to the plate. And I know that this may not be the ratio and the statistics everywhere, but I'm seeing a lot of it. And thank God I get to speak into the lives of, of many of those young men. And, uh, and uh, they're doing a great job in their sphere of influence. And, uh, but listen, I, I'd hope that 
if you're a father, if you're here or listening somewhere else, that that's who you are. But if it isn't, or it hasn't been, well, be encouraged because we serve a God of second chances. Amen? A God who is interested in today and not a God who wants you living life in the rearview mirror. And He wants to give you hope and a future. And uh, He is faithful and He will do it. So just be encouraged in that. We are living in a time that, that would be fair to call troubled times. Um, you see things. I, I always say that you know, when, there, when I was a kid, there was a show called Candid Camera on TV. And we always looked forward to that because there wasn't a lot of great shows. wasn't many channels back then. But Candid Camera was really cool when it came out. And, and, uh, but I always say, you know, it's, it's like we live in a world now where you're always looking for that Candid Camera. Because it's like we're always pranking somebody. And you're like, this can't be real. You know, really people... People can't really think this way. People can't be behaving this way. But they are, and they, they, they believe it, and it, they bought into the lie, and it's really, really troubled times, you know. Um, but all that said, and uh, not having to really elaborate on the details of it, because we all know, uh, if you care to look or listen, which I generally don't, I bet someone will tell me something, and I, or I will take a peek now and then, and and I do have the CBN app on my phone, so I get the Christian, Christian Broadcasting Network uh, news app on my phone. And it, it gives me a lot of the ugly, but from a Christian perspective. So that's, <laughs> that's about it. <laughs> the thing I was going to point out, though, is that we're not, not... Don't worry. Don't worry about it. You say, well, that seems awfully callous and uncaring and unfeeling. No, I just mean don't worry. And you say, well, says who? I say, says Jesus. <laughs> Amen. Or oh me. <laughs> In the Gospel of John, Jesus, on that fateful night that he was betrayed, the night you're familiar with the Last Supper and all that, he had a lot to say to his disciples. And you can imagine, you know, he's... Fulfilled his ministry, basically. I mean, of course, he had something left to do. A couple, a few things. But uh, he was about to turn over all of his authority and power. You see, a man gave away our authority in this earth, right? In the Garden of Eden. And so it had to be a man to get it back. A man never could do it. So God became a man and came and got it back. And now... He was about to give it back to us. Which means he was going to be finished and sit down where he is now at the right hand of the Father. And he gave his authority and power over to us. And I just pray, holy God, just help us to have hearing. Help us to hear your truth. To embrace it. To under, finally let the light bulbs go off so we start believing what has happened, Lord. But in the gospel starting in the 14th chapter of John all the way through the 17th, I love, but the 14th through 16, he really had a lot to say. He expounded on lots of things regarding the kingdom of God, our Father in heaven, the Holy Spirit, about what was about to happen to him. And right after he said what was about to happen to him, he said, don't be troubled. 
<laughs> he said um, in uh, John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus said, I have said these things to you, and you have to go back, especially today. Uh, uh, we're running a little behind, so <laughs> I, I'm not going to get there. If I open up to, to, to those chapters of John, you know what I'll do. And uh, it'll be a blessing, but... but uh, that's where I'll stay and I'll part because it's so wonderful that I could just read those chapters over and over all the way from the 14th through the final chapter of John and just uh, and be blessed for the rest of my life and for all eternity probably will be but he said after he'd said all these things he said I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. He didn't say might have. He didn't say I'm going to make all the problems go away. He said, no, you're going to have tribulation in this world, but take heart. Or be of good cheer, he says in the King James. I have overcome the world. So he tells us what to do, not to worry. And he tells us what to do instead. <laughs> the opposite of fear is faith. Take heart. Be of good courage. And then he tells us why. Because I've overcome the world. And that sounds good. And I think we read it fast a lot. And it sounds good. And actually it sounds good for Jesus. <laughs> if we're being honest. Good for you, Jesus. What about me? But he's talking to you. And the fact that he's telling you, he's giving you this instruction, the fact that we can be of good cheer in the midst of terrible adversity and the storms of this life is what sets us apart from the world. It makes us supernatural, if you will. Mm-hmm. A lot of us just leave our super on the shelf and walk around in the natural. Like preferring it as the organic choice or something. No. You need to add the super to your natural. And that's abiding in Jesus, isn't it? And in His Word. Jesus has overcome the world. We're in Him. And that means we can too. We have to. We have as well. What am I saying? We have overcome with Him. 1 John 5, 5. Who is it that overcomes the world? Except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. <laughs> 5, 5. 1 John 5, 5. So He's talking about you. You're the ones that overcome the world. The believers in Jesus Christ. And so in Christ, we are overcomers. But... Christians sometimes, like I said, they just don't act like it. We'll exclude everyone here from that comment because you're all walking in power and authority and victory in every area of your life and helping others to do the same. You're all true disciples of Jesus Christ. And you're out there doing what we were left here to do. Right? Jeff? Jeff was just talking to me about this. So, that's good. But anyone that's not 
quite there yet. And so maybe just me in this setting. But we need to, to, to take heart and to, to remember who we are and what we have in Christ. We don't need to go around just looking like the world, talking like the world, thinking sick, talking sick, thinking poverty, talking poverty. Instead of sowing peace, they stir up strife and division. They hold unforgiveness and bitterness in their hearts. Then wonder, why isn't God blessing me? Listen, God isn't withholding anything from us. Matter of fact, it's already been done. It's already on account. God's not withholding anything. He wants us to prosper in every way. But we can't open the, every door and window to our house, this spiritual temple of God, to the devil and invite him in and expect him not to accept the invitation. I'm painting outside the lines? No? Hitting it right? Okay. (laughs) And even if we have looked too much like the world, because we all have a, a level of maturity in Christ, He's not rejecting anyone based on these things that He's correcting us on. We need to get that. One of the signs of maturity in a Christian and a true believer is that they're able to receive correction as well as they are praised. Because if you're out living apart from the truth, when you come into contact with it, when it confronts you, when the truth of God confronts you, it should encourage you that God has shown you, has shed light into that area. Oh, I was missing this, but now... I was blind, but now I see. Thank you, Jesus. Not just stick our thumbs in our mouth and go pout about it. (laughs) Uh, Even if we have lived apart from God, all we have to do right now, today, anytime we decide is just start agreeing with God right where we are. Right when we decide to make up our minds and before you know it, we'll be looking forward to times of refreshing from the Lord. Amen. He's faithful like that. In other words, we're not waiting on God to do anything. We're not trying to wait for God to move. We really don't need to be asking Him to heal us or to prosper us. Or to do any good thing for us because He's already granted it in Christ. And all the promises of God in Christ for you are yes and amen. If you have Christ. So now the way you obtain those things provided by grace. And if it hadn't been provided by grace through the atonement. Then you're not going to get God to do it for you. He either did it for Jesus or He's not going to do it for anybody. And if He did it for Jesus, it's already there waiting on you. You just need to reach out the hand of faith and take hold of the things provided by grace. And don't let that faith rest until it's accomplished the thing that you've sent it out to do or to get. That's why you can't use your faith to win the lottery. 
Because God is not going to rig the lottery for you. You can't use your faith to get your neighbor's husband or wife. Because that's not God's way or character. You understand what I'm saying? But what is His will and way is to heal all who are oppressed of the devil. Haven't you heard of Jesus of Nazareth? John uh, Acts 10.38 Who was anointed with power and the Holy Ghost and He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. For God was with Him. That's the character of God. Jesus said, you've seen the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. If He did it for one, He'll do it for you. Lord, if you're willing, I know you can make me clean or make me healed. Jesus said to him, therefore, to you, I'm willing to be healed. There's your answer. Amen. Or oh, me. I never forget when the Lord brought me to himself and I received him really as my Lord and Savior. I was so happy. And he I'll never forget the time when I heard him audibly say that I was his child and he was pleased. You know. That's the same thing he said about Jesus. And I began to understand who the enemy was, who had brought all the destruction and death in all its various forms into my life and those that I knew. And, and I, I wanted to fight. I, I, I wanted to fight the enemy. I loved God and now I hated that thief, that liar, that destroyer that devil and I told I remember telling the Lord I I want to fight him I want to fight for you I want to whatever it is however it works (laughs) I want to be I want to fight him I would say things like this to him just looking in the mirror just talking to him and just Tears flowing down. And I was serious. And still just a baby, you know. <laughs> to God. <laughs> I remember. He told me I needed to, to forget everything that I thought I knew. <laughs> In other words, he was, he, wasn't, he was saying yes, but it's going to take a minute. Yeah, you know, I, I at, all I knew was uh, violence and things like that. If we came to fighting, could use my tongue to hurt somebody or physically. So how I grew up, and then you take an angry, lost young man and get him really skilled in martial arts, and it's a bad thing. And that's that's all I knew. You know, back in the 1600s, out of necessity, lots of the farmers they they uh, 
They made weapons from their farming implements, especially in Eastern culture. And like, you know, one of the weapons that I was expert in was the nunchucks. You've probably heard of them things, seen a Bruce Lee movie. Very dangerous weapon. But they were originally just something that the farmers used to, uh, to flail and to thresh uh, rice and other grains, you know. And there's, a, there's something called a sigh. Looks like a little trident. Originally come from a farmer's pitchfork, you know. Really, they're really good to stop a sword. <laughs> but then they perfected it, of course, and got the two short ones and longer one in the middle and point, sharpen them. You could throw them. You could do all sorts of cool things with them. But uh, there was a, there's a tonfa. I like those a lot. It looks like it's a... Some of you might have been on the wrong end of those before. It looks like it's a policeman's uh, nightstick. It's like a stick with a handle coming out the side. And that's a really cool weapon. They usually use them in pairs. But that was just a that was just a, a deal that they a handle that they stuck into the side of the, the millstone and then they, it was a handle to turn the millstone to uh, to grind the, the rice and soybeans and other grains and things like that. Why am I telling you all this? Well, I don't know. Just thought of it. Because something like this is mentioned in the book in the Bible, in the book of Joel, chapter three, verses nine and ten. Joel chapter three, verses nine and ten. I'll read this to you from the King James Version. It says, Proclaim ye this among the Gentiles. He's telling the prophet Joel, say this to the Gentiles. Prepare war. Make up wake up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords. And your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I'm strong. Or I'm a warrior. There are even songs about this passage of scripture. Let the weak say, I'm strong. You heard it? I was trying to tell you. I want to show you something today. Let the weak say, I'm strong. I'm trying to think of that song. There's songs about it. I've heard messages preached about it. But all in error. Even that song is in error. <laughs> Based on this passage of Scripture. Because the verse is sarcastically telling the ungodly to make instruments of war out of their farming implements because they're going to need everything they can to try and fight against God's people. Therefore, fighting against God Himself. And it will be to no avail. He's making, poking fun at them. Proverbs 21.30 says, No wisdom, no understanding, no counsel can avail against the Lord. Amen. And that's what that scripture is saying. It wasn't... People take... They, you can look... You can take this Bible and make it say whatever you want to. And judgment is beginning in the household of God right here in these pulpits of America and the rest of the world. And he's going to get some things straight. 
Because it's unfair to the people of God when this men of God or women of God are not really hearing God and they're just saying things that aren't right or aren't coming from the throne of God. Because it hurts God's people. I could have preached the whole message on that and I could have made you believe that it was saying just what it sounded like it was saying instead of being sarcasm from the God from God. You know what I'm saying? And that's a terrible thing when that's done to God's people. And pe- God's people are being deceived and abused and used all over the world. I've known of ministers and pastors that use their churches. Uh, bank account as their own personal bank account and their flock that is under them as their own private harem, both men and women. And that's a sickening, disgusting thing. And if I ever find it or witness it, I will put light right into that. And I'm not too sure if I won't go back to some of my own ways, old ways for a minute. And pray and raise them up. No, I won't, Lord. Listen, we do need warfare. Hmm? We have to learn warfare God's way, but not the way that man thinks, huh? which is futile against our true enemy. Now, the, the, the weapons of our warfare, the Bible says, are not carnal. They're not natural. Those who think they are will actually be fighting against God. Hmm? If you continue down that path, this isn't saying that there isn't a place for modern warfare in this world, because there is. There certainly is. I back our military, and you know, there is a, a, a lot, we live in a fallen world, and there are, a, there are worse things than war. And I, I, I'm saying that not taking it lightly, I understand where we're at, <laughs> you understand, like... Grandfather was highly decorated, Battle of the Bulge and all that. And I know, based on everything that I have heard, that war is, is basically hell. So I'm not making light of it. But I'm telling you, World War II, for instance, and over the almost 500,000 American lives alone that were lost in that war, it was better than... That evil Hitler ruling the world, wasn't it? And we had to make that decision. And so that's what I mean when I say there are some things worse than war. Not making light of the atrocities of war. (laughs) But now I'm talking about the spiritual battle that we're in. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5, Paul said, "For, For though we walk in the flesh, we are still in these bodies, obviously, temporarily. We do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Oh, I can't help what I think or feel. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. God is an emotional God. 
See, when I say that, we think of some five-year-old little girl who you can see cry and laugh and throw a fit and give someone a hug all in the scope of 60 seconds. <laughs> he's not like that because he's not governed by negative emotions. Hmm? And our anger was actually given to, to us to get mad at the devil. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, the Bible says. Amen. Amen. Isaiah 2.4 and Micah 4.3, by the way, if you want to look at correct scriptures, they're identical scriptures, by the way. But they are speaking of the day when Jesus reigns and all war will come to an end. And believe me, in this life, the utopia that some political groups are believing for, that's not going to happen because they, they're trying to accomplish it without Jesus being a part of the solution, you see. And that's not only terrible, but it's wrong. But it will be that way one day when Jesus rules and reigns in the earth. It says, And he shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people, and they shall beat their... Now listen to this. It's the exact opposite. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Now taking the weapons and making them into farming implements. You see? Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. What a glorious day, huh? The day the Lord ruling is and reigning in the world. But until then, the Bible calls for us to occupy until He returns, doesn't it? So Jesus came to this earth to destroy the works of the devil. Isn't that what the Bible says? And we, in His absence, are to resist that devil, aren't we? There's a there's an instruction there and a promise connected with it, isn't there? Submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Oh God, run this devil off. Remember what happened when Kenneth Hagin was talking with the Lord and he couldn't hear him because that little demon was running in between him and wouldn't shut up and wouldn't let him hear? And he got so frustrated and wondered why the Lord wouldn't tell that thing to go away. And finally, he did it himself. He, got, he lost his cool and told it to get out of there in the name of Jesus. And it took off. It looked at Jesus first and then it took off. Because see, then Jesus had been given. But what he told Kenneth Hagin, he asked him why at the end of the conversation, why he hadn't run it off. He asked the Lord. And he said, when I sat down, I was finished. I gave authority to you, to the church. If you hadn't used your authority, I couldn't have. He is a, a God, He is a just God. He holds Himself accountable to His own covenants and law. You see what I'm saying? It's not that He is feckless. It's just that <coughs> there are spiritual laws at work that we need to learn to cooperate with. Excuse me. So how do we fight the devil? We fight the devil by not by placing so much attention on him, 
people do that, and what they do is they bring more of his, they've given him too much acknowledgement, you see, and he somehow works out legal strategies to work inroads, to have legal inroads into your life. Well, he was talking to me, Lord. You see, he was bragging on me. Doesn't that mean I have a right? Y'all hear what I'm saying? So we mean to magnify the Lord. This is this is our warfare against the devil. Magnify the Lord. Talk him up. Give him praise. Give him thanksgiving. Magnify the Lord in your life, in your speech, in your actions. That's how you fight the devil. You can read in Ephesians chapter 6, all the armor of God. There's one offensive weapon. It's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. On your tongue. Huh. Learn at Mark chapter 4. You go with me? <laughs> all right. Praise God. Mark chapter 4. You see, before God can make you into a fighter for Him, which is what I asked Him to do, right? He has to make you a farmer. Mark chapter 4 is the parable of the sower. And I'm, gonna, I'm trying to be cognizant of the time today. But Jesus began to teach them in a parable. And he, used, he described four different types of ground. And he's talking about the seed and the sower, a farming parable, talking about something they understood. Throw seed on the ground, takes root, comes up, grows whatever kind of seed you plant, right? Talked about four different kinds of soil and none of them, only one of them bore any fruit. Only one produced a crop. You had the path people, the rocky ground people, the thorns people, (laughs) and the good soil folks. And all these typify the heart of man, which is the garden of our lives. They asked him about this because they didn't understand anything. They, They didn't have the Holy Ghost yet. They didn't understand a lot of the things he... So he would get away and he would disciple them. He would break it down and go over it with them and explain it to them because they belong to him. He said the world is not going to understand because they're not supposed to understand. Until they have me or accept me, they're never going to understand. And he told them, the importance of this parable. And I want you to see that in uh, chap- chapter 4 of Mark, verse 13. He said, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? That's why sometimes I tell you, if you don't understand 
the law of sowing and reaping, you're not going to understand the kingdom of God. A lot of people shy away from it because most pastors only use it to talk about money. <laughs> and once they, if they discern or they think or they've had a bad experience and they think that preacher's just trying to get money, they just sort of block it out. And that's not the point. Of course, money is something that can be sown or planted so it can be used as seed. But everything in the kingdom of God is in seed form. Everything that God has entrusted you with. Everything you've ever taken pride in in your life was a gift from God and it was supposed to be used to glorify God. Your time is in seed form. Your words are in seed form. You see what I'm saying? The sower sows the word, he says. So he's talking about the word of God here. The sower sows the word. It's verse 14. And these are the ones along the path. Where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word. That's why I say protect this word in your heart. Let it take root and bear fruit into good ground. Because the enemy, he comes after you. But he really wants the word in you. If you don't have this word which is able to save your soul, you don't, he's not worried about you. So he's coming to steal the word from you. Comes immediately and takes away the word that is sown in them. And those are the ones sown on, and these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. They can't handle any persecution. Fear a man. A man-pleasing spirit, you see. God's not here right now, striking me down. So I'm not going to worry about what it means to him that I stand up for this word because I'm confronted with a person who I don't want to displease right now. I don't want them thinking negative of me or talking about me, ridiculing me, making things hard on me. So, I'm not going to... This is too hard. I'm not going to do it. Where was it? Okay. 17. First Kingdom. 18. And, and others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires of other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. So, this... Those are kind. I say these are the ones that go to church and then they leave Jesus there when they leave. They got to get. They got a life. They got to leave. Hey, I got things to do. 
so much fun to be had, so many things to, to get. I got to get all I can, can all I get, and sit on my can. <laughs> Isn't that the goal? Get all the marbles? But those that were sown into good soil are the ones who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and hundredfold. They said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. And then there's something that he says here. You tell them, be careful how they hear. <laughs> be careful how you hear, what you hear. Be mindful. Place an importance on the Word of God. And all you're hearing, be sure that you hear me, he's saying. Because all those who do hear, the ones who have the good soil, the tilled soil, the sensitive to God's soil of their hearts and receive word and get revelation, to them more will be given. And then more and more and more. But those who don't have, even what they have will be taken away. Those who don't have understanding are the ones that the enemy is able to steal from. Hmm. To learn the right kind of farming in Father's Day, I would say you need to hang around Dad for a while. As a young farmer, as a Someone coming up in the business. I would say your father in heaven. The best, best dad ever. Yeah, you need to follow him around for a while. Watch dad work. He's the master gardener and pruner. He'll show you the right seed to plant. Hmm? Prepare the soil of your heart. How to cultivate it. You see, it's much easier to grow weeds than it is to grow corn or wheat or cantaloupes or some kind of good crop, isn't it? Matter of fact, all you need to do to grow weeds is nothing. Got that from Jeff earlier. Sort of. <laughs> he said something to that effect. This is a different parable, huh? Means the same thing, no doesn't it? <laughs> Just live in the world of the world. It teaches you to grow thorns and thistles and weeds. 
Yeah. Farming can be difficult. It gets hot out there. Huh? And then other times you just find yourself in the cold. But he will never leave you or forsake you. He's faithful even when we're not. And your strength to be a a warrior, a fighter, the kind he needs you to be, come when you have a revelation of a couple things, really more. Of course, grace and faith are essential. But a couple of things that come to mind, your strength and your, your boldness, your courage, your encouragement will rise up in you when you realize you have a revelation of his love for you, first of all. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. God loves you. God is love. He gave all for you. And you need to have a personal revelation of his love for you. You need to be looking in that mirror every day and say, look who Jesus loves. And know it and believe it. Because out of that, faith worketh by love. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. He's not talking about your love. Your love will come out of an abundance or an overflow of his love for you. You see? You can't give away what you have and God is the source of all love. And so until you receive his love for yourself, you can't really give the agape kind of unconditional love of God away. You can't. And it's to be given away. Hmm? You can't help but give it away. You want to give it away. There's nobody I've ever known that really came to know the Lord Jesus that didn't just yearn to give him away not not have him anymore but to share him with others and so often what happens is we go and we try right there in Jerusalem where we live talking about when Jesus gave the great commission you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and all the world so it goes outward see? and it gets easier as you get further from home but most people get shut down at home and they just quit. <laughs> well, everybody's not going to be as excited about this as me, I guess. Not going to endure that sort of beating again. I'll just keep him to myself, I guess. How sad. But the other thing, you know, you need to have a revelation of the gift of righteousness bestowed upon you. Yeah. Until you know that you are righteous, that you are in right standing, free of judgment and condemnation from God, and accepted as a child of God, until you know that and believe it, not just read it, but really know it, and walk in that confidence, you're not going to be able to be and to do all the things that he wants you to, that he has for you. Hmm? 
until you know you're righteous, you will be overcome instead of being overcomers. We have to learn from the Word of God who we are, what we have, and what we can do. Then, we need to honor God by living that kind of life. We overcome by, what's the word? By the word of our testimony and the blood of the Lamb. And that's what it says. So, by the blood of Jesus. So, this is simply the word of God put into our hearts and our mouths and then put into action in our lives by faith. We're, we're going to overcome in this life not by the kind of worldly knowledge that puffs up, the Bible says, but the knowledge that comes from the love of God, the knowledge of God Himself, and of Jesus Christ our Lord. Because that's what Peter says in Second Peter 1-2, that grace and peace be multiplied in your life through the knowledge of God the Father and His Son Jesus Christ. That's the kind of knowledge we're looking for then, right? We overcome by learning to live lives of, we say last week, abundant, abundant grace. Didn't I, talk, when did, didn't I talk about grace last week? Live a life of abundant grace. Being, and what does that look like? I, I made five points. Living in, in total de- dependence on Jesus. Living in dependence on God. Living in God's peace. Seeing others through eyes of grace. Huh? And mercy and living in victory over sin and strongholds and then having a constant expectation of good from God, which was the definition of, of hope for the Christian. Confident expectation of good from God. Not the kind of hope the world talks about. When you pray for them, they go, I hope so. <laughs> Wait a minute. Let's pray again. I don't think you're hoping so like the the Bible describes hope. Otherwise, I would hear more of a confident expectation of good from God from you. I prayed for a, a young man's wife the other night. I don't think he would mind me sharing this, but I'll leave his name out. But wonderful young family two beautiful girls and his wife the mother of his children had been very sick her temperature was going from 105 to 101 and you know that's the kind of stuff where people start talking immediately what sort of medical treatment you need and what hospital you need to be at I'm not saying there's not a place for that. But what I did is what the Lord told me to do. And I asked him if we could get him on speakerphone and he and pray. And he said, absolutely. Which is a good sign. Prayed. Ran it off. Took up my authority. See, 
It has nothing to do with me. But God needed a vessel at that moment. He's given us authority. He said that if you believe in Him, you will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. But we know there are some other spiritual laws at work there. The law of faith. And, and then the, the spiritual tug of war that we play with faith and unbelief and lots of things. You, you can't microwave this relationship. But it was done. I knew it was done. I felt it when it was done. And we, we all hung up the phone and went to bed. Two days later, I happened to ask him, Hey, how's so-and-so? Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you knew. I said, I did. Well, I love to hear the praise reports. Totally healed. So, that's it. You just got to have that childlike faith again, folks. The world beats you down. You just need to get back up. And don't forget to ask your father for a hand up. He's right there. He loves you. Mm. I'll finish here, even though it's... I was... About halfway point here of what I thought the Lord wanted to say. But if you look in Romans chapter 5, you know, it's good to have a Bible that's all marked up and personal to you. I understand that some people are good at technology and I'm just not there yet, but. <laughs> There's something special about having your own so you can see that it's out there in your Bible too because one day it'll that same scripture will talk to you in a way that is fitting for that particular situation and circumstance. So I encourage everyone to bring your Bibles. And, but here in Romans chapter 5, Paul was comparing Jesus and Adam. Not that there's a comparison, but... You do have to compare them to understand the different covenants and understand the magnitude of what Jesus has done for us. So he was looking at a little comparison of Adam called the first Adam and the last Adam. Jesus is referred to as the last Adam as well. And the byproduct of their lives and or the effect that, that they have on us. Huh? Romans 5.17 says, For if by one man's offense, talking about the first Adam in the Garden of Eden, if one, by one man's offense, death reigned by one. Death reigned and ruled and, and had dominion, you see? Had control. Much more, they which receive abundance of grace... And of the gift of righteousness. Look at that. Shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. So. Here. I mean. It's such wonderful news. But you really need to. 
meditate on that passage of Scripture and the meaning of it. Because by one man's offense, death reigned by one for all of us. You see, so the seed of Adam was corrupted and that's when that sin nature of Satan, that's why you were all born children of Satan. (laughs) Now, lest anyone's freaking out, if you have a young person that has passed on, they're with Jesus. Until you know the difference and have the chance to choose for yourself whether someone sprinkled their head when they were a baby or not, doesn't matter. They went home to be with God. So, I'm saying, we all born with the corrupted sin nature and that's what separated us from God. Not our individual sins, which we all committed, but it was all because we had a sin nature that was just compelling us to do so, really. (laughs) Because there's no one, all people have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, which is perfection, which is Christ. huh? So no one can say, well, I did better than all the rest. Because don't you know, I guess if someone were keeping account, like most people on the street believe that God's grading on a curve and I'm trying to live by the Ten Commandments or better than all the Christians that live around me, so I think I'm okay. If God was really judging like that, I guess there would be someone at some point in history that would be considered the one who did it the best, (laughs) but they still fell short because they sinned somewhere. I mean, the Bible goes so far as to say even even if you just know the right thing to do and don't do it, that's sin. Why is that meant to condemn us? No. Just to push us into the arms of Jesus. In other words, you better be perfect or have a Savior who is. Amen. Thank God we all do. Jesus. So, by one man's offense, Adam, we were all doomed to hell. And thank God for the number five. Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Number four was creation into which corruption entered in. And we were stuck on four. Nothing we could do to save ourselves. And then Jesus came. The the law came through Moses. It didn't work. 1,500 years. someone, Someone get it right. Nobody could. Jesus came. Redemption. Grace. Thank you, Jesus. So, if Adam's sin ruled and reigned and brought death upon everybody, how much more those who received the abundance of grace, and grace and truth came through who? So, those who received Jesus (laughs) and the gift of righteousness. See, boasting is excluded from mankind. Because the only right standing with God, the only real righteousness, is the righteousness of God. Anything, any undefiled thing other than that, then to His complete and total holy standard is still defiled. I don't care how good man calls it. So the only true righteousness amongst mankind is a gift. A free gift. You can't earn right standing with God. You can't be good enough for God. It's just something you have to receive freely. It's the grace of God received by faith. 
And because of that, you need to know that you know that you know that you can run boldly right into the throne room of grace, into the right into the presence of your Father in heaven, where no one had ever been except for Jesus. Because no one holy thing will ever be in His presence. But now you can run right up to His throne and say, Daddy, Abba, Father. Because when He sees you, He either sees Adam or He sees Jesus. He either sees the sin-filled, corrupted, fallen man or he sees the redeemed spirit covered in pure gold. He looks down to be reminded of your sin, pointed out to him on those Ten Commandments. But he can't because that mercy seat is covered with the blood of Jesus and he can't see past that. In your eyes, his eyes, I mean, you are, (laughs) I hope in your eyes, that's the point we're trying to make today. In your eyes, you need to see yourself as he sees you in his. That's why you need to understand spirit, soul, and body. Because you look at yourself, you look in your rearview mirror, you look in the mirror in your bathroom, you Think of everything that you've done and you don't know how God can love someone like you. But His ways are not your ways. His thoughts are not your thoughts. He's a spirit and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. You need to get into agreement with this book right here because Jesus is the Word of God. And He said, My words are spirit and they are life. God sees you as righteous and holy and He loves you. And I have so much more I want to share, but I'm going to cut you loose because of what transpired today. And it's Father's Day and I love you. I just want to finish just by touching on the Father's Day theme again, I guess, as it were, since today is Father's Day. And this is a a time in our nation and in the world, people really need their fathers to be godly. (laughs) And uh, I'm saying this with all mercy and grace because I, I wasn't that man. But I'm not living in the rear view mirror because if that hasn't been your testimony too, that you weren't the godly father that he called you to be maybe, Uh, like myself, then well, you're like many of us who just missed the mark. (laughs) You might be a mother who's saying, well, hey, I'm the only father these kids get. You know, I'm doing it all. I, I know. God knows too. And He wants, He wants to be a father to you. He wants to be a father to us all. That's the important thing. A lot of kids are damaged. And they grow up into damaged adults. And it's father issues. 
daddy issues. You know, the best thing we can ever realize is that it doesn't say honor your father and mother when they're honorable. It just says do it. Because they got you here and we were all born fallen individuals. They gave you an opportunity to be a redeemed spirit. Everyone in this world will have opportunity to accept or deny Jesus Christ. Don't ask me how. Don't ask me if it's fair because God is fair and just. And whatever system he has of working that all out, it's good and it's righteous and it's true. So just give thanks, you know. We should just give thanks just for the fact that we got here and had an opportunity to be a redeemed spirit. But God is the best father of all and he wants us all to just accept him as our father and be thankful for whatever we do have in this life. And he just wants us to be encouraged today. I, I believe in you. God believes in you. You need to believe in yourself. You need to see yourself as righteous and holy and loved by God. Don't let the past define you. Let the Word of God define you. Hmm? Give God the remainder of the life that you have and watch what He does. You won't be sorry. Just begin to allow Jesus to live through you. Just invite Him to do that very thing and whatever words you think of, don't make it so official. Just talk to Him like the loving Father that He is. And then go out and live the life that He's called you to. And just remember, you may be the only representative of of Jesus that someone ever meets. This dark world needs the light of the Lord in you. You cannot shovel darkness out of your life or out of anyone else's life. The only way to drive that darkness away is but with light. So let's get started, huh? Heavenly Father, thank you for this Father's Day. This opportunity to come here once again. You're this group of wonderful believers who have a heart for you, Lord. Thank you for speaking to us and sharing your truth with us and helping us to grow in our understanding, growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to be those with the good ground that has received the pure manna from heaven, the word of God into our hearts and and help us to protect it and nurture it and keep all the weeds out, Lord. And to water it daily so that it will grow up and take root and bear fruit in our lives, Lord. Help us to be helped, to be healed everywhere we hurt. Empowered through your word, your promises and love. To know that we are loved by you and to prosper in every way. Thank you for that help and thank you for using us. Making us usable by that help that we might go and help others with the same help we've received, Lord. Thank you for a true revelation of this in the minds of all those who hear this word. In Jesus' name, amen.